Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This podcast is made possible thanks to our patrons. Last week was huge, and this week was no different. Thank you and welcome to Nicholas Frederickson. Dustin Mumbly Joe E, Brittany Axelson, B Ponder 182123, Cassidy Grace Hunter, Roe Fish, Sebastian Adamson, Josh Johnson, Jublu the Great, Ashley Rose Beal, Autumn Ball, Boobites, Jason Sparks, Kevin Walton, Kaylin Soberthrope, Eric Strunk, Nicole Pollock, Brittany Todd, Hampus Anderson, Lisa Makajewski, Thor Hesla, Thomas Jimenez, KC, Poppy Princess 38, Bogdan Dragonew, Evelyn Guillaume, Tiffany, Penelope W, Amanda Helzer, Andy, Finn Tate, Sharon S. Harris, Kripnip, Paul Greet, Brandon Howe, Mac Mockby, Funk Gut, Jen B, Cody Turner, Jeremy Gerbatow, April R. Tranzo, Liz Farrington, Lisa Short, Josh Sunderland, Ajag08, Abby Northcutt, Brett Beedling, Musa Krasas, Dylan Trenon, Gerardo Garcia, Paige Schwab, Tom Hallam, Christopher Anderson, Koisty Poisty, Yasmin Rose, Skylar Heron, Pamela Kamara, Nola Girl, Frank Flores, Daniel Combs, Devin Olofsson, David Kessler, Zach, Big Shot Olive, Mazza Mack, Caleb Brown, Kelly LeMay, and Kay. We're halfway through the month, and the response from you all has been so incredible, I'm not even sure what to do. I sincerely didn't expect this kind of response, and we're all so grateful. Your money goes a long way to paying a lot of people who put a ton of effort into our productions, and for those who work behind the scenes and exclusively just on our Patreon content. For those who haven't become patrons, there's still time. Remember, anyone who starts donating at the $5 level or higher until March 31st not only gets the shout-out, early access, four new narrations per week, and instant access to over 200 previous narrations. But you'll also get a limited edition sticker set and entry into our drawing for a Creepy Podcast logo hoodie. You all make this possible. To see how you can support the podcast and be rewarded, frankly just for being awesome, please visit our reward tiers at patreon.com creepypod. And before we get to this week's episode... We finally made it to the premiere week for our new podcast in conjunction with Midnight Disease Productions and Bloody Disgusting, the SCP Archives. I'm going to drop a sneak peek in a few days, but remember, we premiere this Tuesday, March 19th, so check out the links in the show notes. We're hoping to really kick things off big with the premiere and come out of the gate strong, so all you need to do to help is subscribe and listen. Thank you so much. Whether you're already fans of scp-wiki.com or not, 
I think you're really going to like the new show. That's SCP Archives, wherever you listen to podcasts. The iTunes and Spotify links are also in the show notes. Now. This is Creepy. A podcast dedicated to sharing the most famous, chilling, and disturbing creepypastas and urban legends in the world. Whether these stories truly happened or are simply fabrications is for you to decide. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence and explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Creepy Presents The Lost Town of Deepwood, Pennsylvania Written by C.K. Walker and narrated by Molly Lankford. When I was a kid, my dad traveled a lot for work. Back then, his company was growing exponentially, and my father was sent to oversee the opening of new stores all across the country. In 2002, he had a particularly busy year. My dad was assigned to a store in Pennsylvania, and because it was a longer assignment, and because it was summertime as well, he decided to take my mom and I with him. Since we were going to be there for two months, they gave us a fully furnished house in the suburbs. It was two stories tall and at the end of a very lonely cul-de-sac. The town itself was very small, with a little over 3,000 residents, and the suburb where we stayed was even more rural. Our neighborhood was relatively new, and most of the houses were still empty. The housing development, Lone Wood, had only just started cutting into the dense forest that surrounded it, and all the empty houses gave it a very eerie, albeit boring, feel. Lucky for me, there were a few other kids who lived in Lone Wood, and one of them happened to be my age. Jamie and I were both twelve, and really, that was all we needed to have in common. We had a lot of fun that summer. Being a city kid, I was eager to explore all the bike trails local kids had made out in the woods. The city of Middlesbrough was a very old town, which was incorporated sometime in the early 1800s. The town had tons of history, but nothing really to do. One particularly boring Sunday, Jamie and I even went to the town's museum. It was pretty boring, as expected, until we heard some kid ask an employee about the lost town. The employee replied that that was just a legend, but that was enough to pique my curiosity. I quizzed Jamie about it, but he didn't seem to know much either. It was a full five weeks into the summer before I finally got my questions answered. Jamie and I were building a bike ramp over a narrow stream late one afternoon when we saw a group of five teenagers boisterously heading out into the woods. They were carrying flashlights and beer, several of them trying to scare the girls of the group into turning back. I wonder where they're going, I mused as I glanced over at Jamie. He stood up and wiped his brow. I know where they're going. Where? I stood up and dusted the dirt off my shorts. The novelty of living in a small town had weeks ago given way to boredom, and I jumped on anything that sounded remotely interesting. They're looking for the lost town. He sighed regretfully. Okay, seriously, what is that? I knew you know more than you let on. I need to know, Jamie, I need to know! I shook his shoulders in mock hysteria as he stumbled for balance. All right, I'll tell ya. Jeez, Katie. Jamie picked up his bike and started walking down the bike path. I grabbed mine and followed him. The Lost Town is just a dumb legend. The stories say that Millsboro had a sister city nearby, somewhere out in the woods. 
Then one day, like a century and a half ago, the whole town just disappeared. The people left or died. Nobody knows. Nobody even remembers the name of the town. It's like a rite of passage or something for kids to go looking for it. Jamie, we should... No! He stopped and turned to look at me. Some kid went looking for it in the 70s and never came back. They found his body like 10 years later in the middle of nowhere. He got lost out there. It's easy to do. Everything looks the same. He was a total idiot. Probably on drugs. It was the 70s. We are a totally different generation. We have sat-nav. Sat-nav? He looked at me curiously. Jamie had lived in this town his whole life. And sometimes I forgot how sheltered he was. Satellite navigation? My dad has a GPS that he totally wouldn't notice missing for a day. Come on, Jamie. It'd be so much fun. I better get back. Jamie looked at his watch and then mounted his bike. My dad is taking me to a movie tonight. We rode in an uncomfortable silence, until an idea struck me as we rolled over the abandoned train tracks. They were old and almost buried by plant growth. Hey, I know you don't want to talk about it, but has anyone ever found anything? No. Well, my friend's older brother said he found some human bones out there once. Nobody believed him. Oh. And where do people look? Well, almost everybody goes to the lake. He pointed to the left of us, where we'd seen the teenagers heading earlier. It's pretty deep back there, but they figured that if there was another town, they'd have lived by the lake. So, that's where they go. Well, you know what I would do? I would follow the train tracks. I mean, they look pretty old. And I don't know why they would lay them going back into those woods unless there was something back there. So that's where I'd go. Jamie considered this and then nodded. Yeah, I guess I could buy that. No one follows the tracks that way, though. That's where the kid that disappeared went. I wasn't swayed. I didn't bring up the lost town again until two weeks later. It was the weekend before we were moving home, and my parents had a barbecue for the employees of Dad's new store and some of our neighbors. Jamie and I hung out inside the house and played my N64, while we flirted pretty outrageously. There had been an unspoken sort of mutual attraction throughout the summer that no one had had the guts to act on. Since I was moving home in five days, there was really nothing left to lose. Although his intentions were probably pure and genuine, I'm embarrassed to say that mine were not. I thought that if I could make him want to impress me, he would agree to go looking for the lost town. The legend had thoroughly consumed me. I'd been to the local library every morning for the past week looking for more information on the town, and had found nothing. But legends don't just come from nowhere. I was sure of it. I knew if we didn't leave by 2 p.m., we wouldn't have enough daylight to carry out my plan. I already had a backpack packed with water, a flashlight, a camera, and a can of red spray paint. I figured if we left the tracks, we would need a way to find our way back to them. I thought I was so clever. Nothing in that backpack made a damn bit of difference in the end. I was a fool. I set my controller down and turned to look at Jamie. So, do you want to go out to the woods one last time? I raised my eyebrow and smiled at him. Yeah! He said excitedly, and he jumped up off the couch. Then, embarrassed, he cast his eyes down at the floor. Y yeah, y you know, if you want to. That's cool. Cool. Let's go. 
I grabbed his hand and ran out the front door, grabbing my strategically placed backpack on the way. Jamie didn't even notice it. He was walking faster than I was. When we had gotten a decent way into the trees, Jamie turned around and looked briefly at my face before casting his eyes to the ground. He rubbed the back of his neck. I've actually, like, wanted to kiss you all summer. I was stunned to silence. Absolutely dumbfounded that Jamie had found the guts to say anything like this. I knew I needed to fill the awkward silence left in its wake. So I did the only thing I could think of. I leaned in and kissed him. It was the awkward first kiss of two twelve-year-olds. But it made me feel warm and sent a flight of butterflies swirling into my stomach. So I actually really did like Jamie. How about that? I let him go and his face was the same shade of red that I imagined mine was. He quickly changed the subject of how long he'd wanted to ask me out. But that he didn't think I liked him back. We walked for a while carrying on this conversation. Him oblivious to his surroundings. Me subtly leading the way. It took him stumbling over the tracks to break off his monologue and finally notice the backpack. He looked at me like I'd punched him in the face. You can't be serious. Jamie, I know, but look. This is the last time I'm going to see you in a really long time. And I want to remember today. We will only be out for two hours max. We'll be back before they even realize we're gone. Jamie stared at the tracks for a minute and seemed to be considering it all. I held my breath until he finally let out a deep sigh. Okay. Oh my god, Jamie, I... He held up his finger, cutting me off. But we follow the tracks the entire time and we turn around after an hour. Okay. I was so excited that I hugged him. It would be the first and last time I ever did. As we walked, we talked about all sorts of mundane things, stopping only to make sure we were still on the tracks. It felt like we'd only been walking for 45 minutes, but when Jamie checked his watch, it had been three hours. That's weird. It hasn't been three hours. It says it's five o'clock. He trailed off. I swear we left just after two. It can't be five, dude. Your watch is busted. I gave him a playful shove. Jamie raised his eyebrow at me and smiled. Even so, we should probably turn around. He wasn't wrong. The sun was setting. The shadows were long and looking around, I wondered if it really was five o'clock. As we had been walking, I'd noticed something taking shape off of our right. A large mass, maybe a quarter mile away. It was denser than the area around it, and seemed to have clean, man-made lines. Jamie, look. He turned. Yeah, I was hoping you hadn't noticed that. It's a long way off, though. We'd never find the tracks again. Yes, we would. Check it out. I triumphantly pulled the spray paint out of my backpack. It's for the trees. He took the can and shook it, then made an experimental X on a nearby tree. Okay, but I get to do the spraying. I didn't argue. The closer we got to the mass, the more it took shape. First, we could tell it was a building. Then we could tell it was a church. By the time we got to the front door, we were looking at a very old and dilapidated chapel. Remembering my camera, I took a picture of the wooden plaque over the door. Whatever had been written on it had long ago worn away. We walked around the church in awe. 
The building was small, maybe 500 square feet. The windows were, surprisingly, all intact, but were so caked with dirt and grime that we couldn't see anything inside. How do we get in? I asked quietly. I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. Wait till my brother hears about this. I mean, holy shit, look at this place. His excitement was contagious. The front door had a pull handle, but try as we might, we couldn't seem to open the door. Do you think it's locked? I asked, as I watched Jamie struggle with it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it must be. There was a door around back, though. The door at the back was a lot more sympathetic, and let us in with relative ease. We were standing in a small room with an old wooden desk attached to a wall. There was a small fireplace, and old portraits hung up around the tiny office. The people in the pictures were all standing in front of the same maroon background, and were looking down at us disapprovingly. Books were scattered everywhere, most in a language I had never seen before. The floor was covered in dirt, and a pair of old shoes were laying haphazardly in one corner. Whoa, I said in awe. Yeah, whoa. I looked over at Jamie, who had a huge smile on his face. He was holding up a cross and a piece of paper. What is it? I walked over to see. It's a list of names. There's like 60 people on this list. Maybe a town census? Let me see. I pulled my flashlight out of my backpack and shined it on the parchment. Deepwood? Do you think that's the name of the town? All these names are crossed out. I'll accept this one. I pointed to a name at the very bottom. Maybe it was the plague. Do you think it's a list of the dead? Jamie shrugged. Makes as much sense as anything else. I walked over to the desk and leaned against it. Why do you think they left? I mean, look, there's a jacket or something on that chair. And shoes over there. The town pastor or whatever. He just took off and left everything like this. Or died. Said Jamie, as he folded the paper and put it into the backpack. Yeah. Died. Either way, it must have been creepy as hell to be alone in here. I stared at one of the portraits for several long seconds. The young woman painted there seemed to be staring down at me with a very accusatory look. It made me incredibly uncomfortable. I was so absorbed in the paintings that I didn't notice the slow creaking from overhead, until the ceiling cracked loudly as it started to cave in. I screamed and covered my head, but the next thing I knew, I was lying on my back over the threshold of a door, Jamie on top of me protecting his head. Ah, thanks. I mumbled as I gently pushed Jamie off of me. Don't mention it. Jamie climbed to his feet and brushed himself off. I glanced behind him at the office, which was now filled floor to ceiling with decaying debris. Jamie, that was our way out. That's okay. We can unlock the front door now that we're inside. Or break one of the windows. If the back office was unsettling, the chapel was downright disturbing. Even though the grimy windows allowed very little sunlight in, I could make out eight rows of pews lining a narrow aisle and a tall podium at the front of the chapel. Hello, Bill Band here from the All 80s Movies Podcast to tell you about Factor Meals. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, 
Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get your 50% off today. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Jamie and I stumbled around the small nave, breaking windows on either side with pieces of wood we'd found. The sun was still setting, and I wondered how much of a difference the muted light would make. When I broke the last window on my side, I turned back around to survey the chapel, disappointed that the lighting wasn't much better. The room itself seemed to repel light. The wooden pews were completely rotted. In fact, the wood we'd used to break the windows of the church were leg stands from the front row. The narrow aisle in between the rows of pews was littered with leaves and rotting wood. But that was nothing. Nothing compared to what sat upon the altar. It wasn't a podium, as I had thought earlier. It was a statue of the crucifixion, but unlike any I had seen before. The paint had been worn away on every part of the statue, except the blood of the crucifixion wounds, which stood bright and realistic and seemed to be oozing before our very eyes. The only surface left untouched by the decay of time was the face of Jesus. The details of his face were still so incredibly minute and perfect, and he had the same accusing eyes as the portraits in the pastor's office. He seemed to be staring directly at me, and I could tell Jamie felt the same, though he was across the room from me. The statue's stare awarded me an edge of panic, and I suddenly realized that we needed to leave. We weren't wanted here. I had the sudden feeling that we were trespassing on some sort of hollowed ground. We had found the church. We had documents proving we had been here, and now it was time to go. I turned to Jamie to tell him so, and could immediately tell that he did not share my feelings. He had been born and bred on these legends, and nothing was going to tear him away from our discovery. I watched him walk over to grab the camera out of my bag. He took pictures of everything he deemed interesting, including the crucifixion statue, much to my unease. I gave him several minutes before I said something. Jamie, I think we need to leave, I said in a low voice. Jamie stopped and looked up, seeming to remember I was there. Are you kidding? This is what we came for. We have to bring home evidence of all of it. It's going to be dark in half an hour. It's already hard to see in here. Duh, that's why I'm using a flash. Hey, can you get a picture of me next to this creepy Jesus thing? Um, I guess. 
I mumbled as I took the camera from him. I didn't even want to look at it, much less photograph it. But if it would help me get him out of here, I was going to stomach it. Jamie wrapped his arm around it just as I snapped the picture. Don't touch it. Ah, oh, crap. Why did you touch it? There's something off about that thing, Jamie. Can we freaking go now? Yeah, fine. Jamie walked over and picked up the backpack as I headed toward the front door. I noticed there was no lock on it. I pushed against the door as hard as I could. It didn't budge. My heart sank. There wasn't even a handle or a knob. It was just a solid piece of wood with strange markings on it. Symbols I had never seen before. Jamie, the door is stuck. I said as I turned around to see him testing a piece of the floor with his foot. What are you doing? I asked, hearing the edge of panic in my voice. He was still at the front of the chapel, a foot away from the Jesus statue, hopping back and forth from one part of the floor to another. The statue's eyes seemed to be only on him now. There's something under here. See? I heard the floorboard creak under his left foot as he put his weight on it. Jamie, don't. No, it's like under the dirt right here. The floor is hollow. He kneeled down and started digging through the thin layer of dirt. It's like a trap door or something. And it was indeed a trap door. By the time I had walked the length of the pews, Jamie already had the edges dug halfway out. Just leave it and your brother and his friends can come back and see what it is. Please, Jamie, I want to go. There was something wrong with this place. Terribly wrong. And the thought of spending one more minute here had me on the precipice of a panic attack. Something I hadn't experienced in over a year. I sat down against the front pew and put my head down. I heard a roaring in my ears and my breathing grew labored. I had to leave here. Even without Jamie. I rocked back and forth for a few minutes as I tried to calm myself down. I would climb out a window and run. In any direction, it didn't matter. There's something here. Under the church. Jamie's voice sounded a million miles away. By the time I pulled myself together enough to lift my head, Jamie was knelt next to me. I didn't know you were claustrophobic. At least that's what I think, Jamie said. I better remember the horror I felt as I stared at the hole in the floor. Jamie had opened the trap door. Two minutes. Jamie said as he stood up. We go down, we take a couple of pictures of whatever's down there, and we come right back up and leave. Just two minutes, Katie. That's all I'm asking. I wanted to say no. I intended to. But I felt myself slowly nodding as Jamie pulled me to my feet. To this day, I don't understand why I agreed. But I suppose that it's better that what happened down there didn't happen to Jamie alone. We're going to come back with a story of a lifetime. What if there's valuable stuff down there or something? Old shit's always worth money. We could be rich. So rich your family could stay here. You could buy the house you're living in and come to school with me in September. I managed a small smile. Of all of the things someone could think to buy with wealth, Jamie's first thought was to keep me here with him. And he was right. There could be anything down there, and almost all old stuff was valuable. I took a deep breath. Okay. Two minutes, I agreed. As we leaned over the trap door and peered down, the first thing we noticed was an intense heat emanating upwards from the hole. The second was the strangely out-of-place spiral staircase leading into the depths below. 
Jamie rolled the flashlight over to me with his foot, and I picked it up as he pulled his lighter out of his pocket. Ladies first, he smirked at me. I stared at him slack-jawed. No way! You found this door, you go in first. Between the black staircase and the heat, I feel like we're descending directly into hell. I am not going first. I crossed my arms and glared at him to reinforce my point. Jamie simply shrugged and stepped onto the staircase. I took several deep breaths as I watched his head disappear into the darkness below. I almost didn't follow him. I was still deciding when he yelled at me to shine the flashlight down on the stairs so he could see. I started down the stairs after him. They went down much farther than I thought, and it became warmer and warmer the further down we went. When we had finally reached the bottom, I was holding back what threatened to be a massive anxiety attack. We were farther beneath the church than I thought we'd be, and it was hot, muggy, and difficult to breathe. Hoping to get this over with as fast as possible, I swung the flashlight around the chamber hoping to reveal its hidden treasures. What I saw there, I can never describe, though I have tried many times. The room was entirely empty, save two things. One was a desk in the corner, much like the one in the pastor's office. The second was another statue. This one was roughly 12 feet tall, and it remains to this day the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. To put it mildly, it was some sort of demon. It towered over us, and as such I could only see the bottom of its jaw from where I was. It was looking directly ahead of it, at the staircase we had just ascended. Its tail was long and swept around the entire room. There wasn't a lot of room to move. It had claws, like any modern depiction of a demon, and as I moved around the chamber to view its profile, I noticed it had horns as well. Neither Jamie nor I spoke as we shuffled around the room, our backs to the wall as far away from the demon as physically possible. I stepped carefully over the tail as I made my way to its back and came around to the other side of the statue. I couldn't take my eyes from it. I couldn't trust it. If the statue upstairs seemed to bleed, what could this one do? As I eyed the talons on the gigantic stone feet, Jamie broke the silence. Can you believe this shit? His voice was coming from the other side of the room. I searched the darkness for the weak glow of his lighter and was relieved to see it moving toward me. I turned my flashlight upward to shine it on the side of the demon's head. The horns had to be at least a foot tall. As I brought it down to see where Jamie was, I hit my arm on something hard. Ow! My head! Jamie squeaked as my flashlight fell to the ground and rolled under the desk. God damn it, Jamie. I whispered in a panic. I dropped to my knees and felt around under the desk, searching for the flashlight. What? It's not my fault you cracked me on the head? I stood back up and swung the light around to see Jamie trying to relight his lighter. But it wasn't him that stopped me dead. I will forever be frozen in that moment. I don't know why I couldn't speak. Couldn't scream. Couldn't move. All I could feel was my own inert descent into madness. As I had moved the beam of light up to Jamie's face, I had seen another face right next to his. 
a twisted, angry, soulless face. The demons. The statue had bent down and turned to the side, its head mere inches from Jamie's, and it was staring at me. I cannot describe its face, and I am not sure my mind will ever let me remember it in detail. It shook me to my core in a literal sense. My body was having a dark, violent, visceral reaction to this impossibility. Jamie finally noticed the flashlight shaking in my hand and turned to see what I was looking at. It wasn't until he started screaming that I was shaken from my paralysis. I dropped the flashlight, Jamie dropped everything else, and we ran. We took the stairs two and three at a time, Jamie pushing me up ahead of him. Halfway up, I slipped, and we both went tumbling down halfway to the bottom. In that horrible moment, we heard the grinding of stone against stone, and we knew the statue was moving. Jamie screamed, but I was mute, too horrified to make a sound. We got up and kept climbing, never taking our eyes off the small dying light above us, our only salvation now. We were almost to the top when we first heard it on the stairs. It was so large and heavy that the entire staircase shook with the impact. Terrified that the stairs would come crashing down and we would be left alone with it below, we jumped the last three stairs. Jamie pushed me up out of the opening. He climbed out after me and tried to slam the trapdoor shut, but it was somehow stuck. We could hear a deafening thunder on the staircase as the statue slowly climbed the steps. I helped Jamie try to push the trapdoor closed and for the first time noticed the symbols on the bottom of the wood. The same as those on the front door. Before I could begin to comprehend this, I noticed the demon first penetrate the shaft of light on the staircase below. It was coming. Jamie saw it too and pulled me to a standing position while pointing at the front door. We both ran at it as hard as we could, but when we hit it, it didn't budge. We tried again, but it was unsympathetic. Katie, the windows! We ran to the closest one and tried to climb up the wall to get out, but the windows were too high. The thunder from below was getting louder, closer. It was more than halfway up the stairs. We tried to climb on the rotting pews to reach the windows, but they crumbled under our weight. I'll push you out. Give me your foot. Jamie yelled over the sound bellowing from below. I shook my head. I wanted to. God, I wanted to. But I couldn't leave him. I couldn't leave Jamie to face that thing alone. We both looked over at the door again. Our only chance was to keep trying to break it down. We stumbled back into the aisle and ran at the door with everything we had. I thought I felt it move. We backed up even further and ran at it again. This time the impact knocked me backwards into the aisle, and Jamie barely stayed on his feet. He looked at me in horror, and I turned around to see stone horns rising up from the darkness of the trap door, three feet from where I sat. We were going to die here. I stood up, refusing to turn around again. I knew that the next step it took would bring its head into the room, and the thought of seeing its face again had me running at the door with every last bit of strength I had. Jamie reached it at the same time, and I felt it give way as we crashed through the threshold and landed outside the church. Jamie had picked me up off the ground before I could think to move, and we were running towards the train tracks at an Olympic sprint. We could still hear the thundering on the stairs no matter how far we got from the church. Every step echoed through the woods like a gunshot. Until they stopped. It was here. 
I had no idea if we had run in the right direction, or if we would be forever lost in those woods. It was now dark outside and the temperature was dropping fast. I was beginning to panic that we would never find the train tracks, when I noticed Jamie wasn't standing next to me anymore. I turned around in a panic to find him sprawled on the ground a few yards behind me. He had tripped over one of the rails. He was up and running down the tracks before I could even ask if he was okay. We ran until we couldn't anymore. Our running eventually slowed to a jog, and the jog to a walk. We hadn't spoken. Neither of us had any idea what to say. And it wasn't until we had both gotten our breath back that one of us finally broke the silence. How long have we been on the tracks? Jamie's voice had an edge of barely suppressed fear. I looked at his wrist and noticed his watch was missing. It didn't take us this long to get... to get... to find that place. Or did it? Do you think maybe we went the wrong way? Jamie asked hesitantly. I couldn't afford to think like that. If we had somehow gotten turned around and ran the wrong way down the tracks, then we were deeper into the woods than ever. No. We went the right way. I said to convince myself. That thing... Jamie started. I thought it was a statue. But maybe it was some crazy, undiscovered, giant reptile that was, like, hibernating, and we woke it up. So we were going to delude ourselves into thinking that there was a scientific explanation for this. I understood why, but I couldn't accept it. Yeah, I said slowly. Did you, um... Did you see the weird writing on the front door? It was on the trap door, too. Do you think it was keeping it down there? Because... Jamie, all those doors are open now. Well, what if it's an animal? Words mean nothing to it anyway. Yeah, if... I trailed off, hoping he would challenge my implication. He didn't. I could tell this was something Jamie's mind wouldn't accept. But he hadn't seen its face. Not like I had. It was no animal. It was made of stone. It was something sinister and anciently evil. And it had seen me. Had seen right down into my soul. It was aware of me. And I was aware of it. And now... It was free. Whatever had been keeping it beneath the church had been awkwardly destroyed by Jamie and me. That thing was free to walk the woods and go God knows where. We walked in silence for another half hour until Jamie suddenly stopped short and started yelling. Here! We're here! He booked it down the tracks towards a swarm of flashlights, and I followed close behind him. As soon as Jamie reached his parents, he collapsed, while I ran into my mother's arms and cried like a child. I couldn't hold it together any longer. The police report says we were found at 4 a.m., by our sense of time about three hours after the sun had set. We had spent less than an hour in the chapel, and yet we seemed to have lost ten hours there. We never told anyone where we had actually been, or that we had found the lost city of Deepwood. We simply said we went for a walk to the lake and got lost in the woods. My family left Middlesbrough the following Monday, 
two days ahead of schedule. My father had another store to open and there was really no reason to wait. Jamie didn't come to say goodbye to me. And after we left Middlesbrough, I never saw him again. I kept a copy of the police report to remember him. Over the following year, Middlesbrough slowly disappeared. At first, I could just feel the memory fading unnaturally from my mind. My parents couldn't remember that we'd ever been there, which scared me more than anything else. I taped the police report to the ceiling over my bed so that Jamie would be the first and last thing I thought about every day. Then the Middleborough City website disappeared, as did that of the local paper in the town's two public schools. The store my dad helped open in 2002 also disappeared from the company's website. After that, I could never find any mention of Middlesbrough anywhere online ever again. Over the years, I searched public records for Jamie's full name and found nothing. I hired someone to illegally search private records, and he came up empty too. In the end, the only proof that Jamie ever existed at all was the police report with his name on it. And then nothing was left. One day the paper I had taped to my ceiling for so many years was blank. I remember what it was and what it looked like before, but now it's just an old weathered piece of blank paper. All that remains of Middlesbrough and the people who lived there are my memories. And this is why I'm writing this story down and uploading it to the internet. Once it's on the internet, it can never die, right? Or perhaps one day it will just disappear, and you won't remember ever seeing it, and I won't remember ever writing it. And I can only hope that this ended with Middlesbrough. If it has moved on to other towns, who would know? Who would even remember? I wish I had answers. But all I have are questions. For more information, including pictures and videos of the stories told on this podcast, or to suggest stories for future episodes, please visit us at CreepyPod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or email us at CreepyPod at gmail.com. All stories told on this podcast can be found at creepypastawikia.com and are protected by a Creative Commons license. Some rights reserved unless otherwise stated. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. 
Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Item number SCP-5186. SCP-7160. SCP-7533. Object class. Euclid. Keter. Safe. Special containment procedures. Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust. <laughs> the only thing I could hear was 7219 <laughs> laughing. Do you remember your name? Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.